Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. All right, let's uh, open our Bibles, if you would, to Luke 19. We'll start in verse 11 in just a few moments. The title of my message today is Let's Get Busy. Let's Get Busy. Sound good? You ready to get busy with some stuff for the Lord? <laughs> As we head into this new year on Tuesday, uh, I want to encourage us, and even if I may, challenge us to, to look at how we use the time that God has given us. Because God has given us all time to do things for Him. Ephesians chapter 5 is a, a verse that uh, I've probably have quoted many times, but it means uh, a lot to me personally, and I tried to live my life this way. But, but let's kind of make this a life verse for all of us this year. And it says in Ephesians 5.15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. How many know that last line is true? The days we live in are evil, and they're getting more evil. But God always has a way that even when darkness shows up, that light penetrates it. We talked about that last week. And light is, it, it, the light of God's glory and His gospel is in us through His Holy Spirit. So we have an opportunity to make the best and the most of every opportunity, even in the midst of darkness around us. you agree with that? So I don't know about you, and I, I don't know if you do, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, resolutions and all that. Uh, I used to do resolutions, and then I'd get frustrated. I mean, my goal for 2019 to is, is to accomplish the goals set in 2018, which I should have done in 2017, because I promised to do them in 2016, what I planned to do in 2015. How about you? Are you in that boat at all? <laughs> okay. So, so, so I kind of want to just wipe the slate clean, if I can, for all that stuff, actually. And just say, hey, let's just think about this year that's ahead of us and think about what we might want to do in, in our own lives, but with God's help for his kingdom. You agree with that? So I believe, and I don't, I don't say this just as like a, a line in a sermon, because even as I was preparing and I wrote this line down, I felt it more like a prophetic word. In other words, it's, this is what God wants to speak to his church today, is that I believe God is going to present you and me, all of us, with many opportunities and we must be living aware and be ready to take those opportunities as they come. Would you receive that word today in Jesus' name? Amen. As we look in our Bibles here in Luke chapter 19, we see that Jesus is making his last trip to Jerusalem before he will die. And he will die for the sins of the world. His sacrifice on the cross would make it possible for all mankind to be saved if they will receive him and to spend eternity in heaven with him forever. And God's plan is being executed perfectly, as I've mentioned many times and most recently about the prophets, how they pre predicted all this stuff and it came to pass. And it is the plan of God and it's perfectly being executed. And, and, but from our human perspective, there seems to be a little catch in God's plan. It's a perfect plan, but, but we see a little issue because after Jesus dies and raises from the dead, on the 40th day after that, he ascended and goes back to the Father and we think, uh-oh. Things were working pretty good while you were here, but now you're gone. And the catch in my estimation is that God left in the hands of us, human beings, the plan. Right? <laughs> you, you track it with me? I mean, it was great when Jesus was here because everywhere he went, he went healing people and speaking just the exact words of God. And then he leaves us behind to see it through. And, you, and initially you think, God, what were you thinking? 
But remember, it's a perfect plan. And I want to suggest to you, this shows how highly God thinks of you. That, that He would invest the whole plan of salvation in you and me to tell people and to help people know the truth. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing God. And so His plan is perfect. He's willing to put at risk the salvation of the world in the hands of us. But Jesus, of course, knew that that was coming. And so he taught this parable that we're about to read right now. Luke 19.11 While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. In other words, they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom. They thought that the Messiah would come and set up rule and reign on planet earth, that he would have a throne in Jerusalem. They had kind of misunderstood the prophecies about this descendant of David, the king, the great king of Israel, who was to come, who was to reign forever and ever. They didn't understand that his reigning forever and ever would be in a different throne and even more widespread than just in local Jerusalem. Are you catching what I'm saying here? And so they're, they're looking for that to happen. But here's the parable he teaches in verse 12. He said, a man of noble birth, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money, mina was a, 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 a money in that day. He put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Are you catching what Jesus is talking about right there? Jesus is king. Even though, even though uh, people mocked him for it and put a crown of thorns on his head and beat him and put a purple robe on him and a sign was put above him that was supposed to be a mocking that said this is the king of the Jews, in actuality, it was a fulfillment of prophecy that the king was being established at that moment. And then he returned home, which I just described. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came to him and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Second came and said, Sir, you're... That's, that's a big jump, isn't it? <laughs> like, gave, gave you a little money, you did a good job with it, you, you, you times ten your money, and he gave you ten cities to be in charge of. The second came to him and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master said, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir... Here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. I mean, that's strong, right? That's strong language. Think about that. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? It's the least you could have done. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him. Give it to the one who has 10, the most productive one. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Let's pray. God, just even reading your word, I feel like you're speaking to hearts around this room already. I know you're speaking to mine. And I pray as we kind of work our way through some of this and talk through this idea of getting busy for your sake, Lord. I pray that you will do a revolution in every single heart today and you will help us all to see the, the, how important it is that we get busy for the kingdom and for the gospel in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. 
Well, I've been walking around the room, and I've spoken with many of you this morning, and, and I've been asking you, how was your Christmas? And in most cases, came back that it was great, um, and, and uh, some people had some challenges along the way, but thank God, uh, we had a wonderful time at our home. By 1 p.m., all of our kids had shown up with their kids. It's now seven and seven, seven adults and seven children. If there's ever an emergency, we all grab a kid and run. You know, I guess that's the way it works. But uh, we hope that Abraham will get uh, married someday and have some kiddos too. That'd be great. But, but anyway, we uh, actually, as soon as the, everybody arrived, we sat down and had dinner together. There's the crew having dinner together. Wasn't that... See, I just get to share all my photos with you, but you can, you can show me yours if you want. I'd like to see them, but that's some of our grandkids. You see our little uh, uh, granddaughter, the only granddaughter over there being held by her mom, Brianna, on the, on the uh, left side there. But anyway, so... So uh, we tortured the kids. We made them wait till after dinner till we all sat down and began to open gifts. And, and it was great. Uh, they survived the process. And uh, after about an hour of playing and mayhem everywhere and wrapping paper, I mean, the first thing I go grab when Christmas starts is a big black trash bag. I mean, that's my, like, I walk in and my boys look at me and they, go, you know, they just shake their heads. Good idea, Dad, you know. So anyway, but, but after playing with their new toys for a while, I noticed something that happens quite often. There were some boxes in the living room and they started playing in the boxes, right? And here's my granddaughter. Isn't she adorable? I mean, come on, just the cutest thing. Anyway, uh, she didn't climb into that by herself, but her dad put her in there. But other kids were climbing in, and they were having a lot of joy just even being in the boxes. Now, I don't know if this is true in your household, but my kids, it seems funny to me how they always end up playing in the boxes. I'll never forget back in Christmas time of 1989, uh, Rhonda and I had uh, gone to Costco earlier before that Christmas, and we had our only son at that time, Andrew, with us. He was about two at the time, and we're going through the store, and it's the first time I'd ever seen one anywhere, I think. I don't remember seeing one anywhere, but they had this electric Jeep, okay, with a soft top on it, and uh, um, you know I'm talking about these little electric cars. It had two speeds, like a slow and a fast, and, um, and it just was the coolest looking thing, and so it was sitting right on the floor, those rotten Costco employees put this thing on the floor where my child could see it and he crawls in it and I guess it had a little battery power in it too because he hit the gas and he's off and he's just giggling and to his heart's content he's having the time of his life and we kind of looked at each other and knew no matter what it took we had to get that for our son for Christmas and so sure enough we just scraped our money together money was tight in those days but and it was they're, they're actually cheaper now than they were back then to be honest with you I remember it being $200 that we had to scrape together, and we went and bought this crazy thing, brought it home, and uh, we opened some other gifts, but on Christmas morning, we, it was, we had it all assembled and charged up in another room, and we brought it out and he showed it to him, and he just lit up, and he immediately jumped right in. He knew right what to do. He jumped in that car and started racing around our house. He tore up everything. I mean, he ran into our piano. He ran into the couch. He, just, he had no idea how to drive at two years old, but he didn't care. He was having the time of his life. So he, he, I kept showing him, okay, this one's backwards, and he pressed the backwards button. He'd race across and bang into something else. We realized this is not working in our house. We happened to live right across the street back then. We lived in Ellensburg, and uh, we lived right across the street from the church, and I was the associate pastor there, and so I had a key. So we just we had a, a room that was probably well, maybe almost twice the size of this room that at the church. It was a large gymnasium, and so we went across and and uh, turned him loose in there, and man, he just went and went and went till the battery ran out, and we took it back home and put it on the charger. And so he played with some other things for a while, but after a while, I noticed something because we still had the box. 
And he drug that box out, right? And he starts playing in that box. And, and he's pretending he's in a rocket ship for a while and all this different thing. And I get, you know, he's just having a blast. And then all of a sudden, you know, he wants to watch a cartoon. And so we put a cartoon on and he, he turned the box so he could see the TV from the box. And he brought blankets in with him and all this stuff. And that night he wanted to sleep in the box. And on and on it went to where the box became his favorite thing for Christmas. And it dawned on me, I could have saved 200 bucks and just brought him home a washing machine box, and the child would have been very happy. You know what I'm saying. I don't know if your kids are satisfied with such things, but, uh, but, but it seems to me that sometimes when I buy these gifts for my kids, they're more interested in the box than they are in the gift. There's another parable similar to this one in the book of Matthew, in which the servants are given money called talents in differing amounts. Uh, they're, they're expected to take that money, and in one way or another, uh, they're to deal with that money uh, as, as they're intended to. The parable is different, and it's actually teaching a different lesson, because in this, this one, each one of them are given the same amount. And I believe every person on earth has been given a gift from God called time. And I want to suggest that God wants us to enjoy the time he's given us here, but he's also called us, uh, and he comes with an expectation that we would use that time wisely. Does that sound right to you? Okay, so, so in Matthew, uh, when we look at that parable with this, what we call the talents, it, the Greek word is talaton, which is, uh, ends up being transliterated, meaning we made up a new English word out of a Greek word, not translated, different, but transliterated. And it's, it's talaton, and so we get the word talent out of that. And the new NIV version uh, t- translates this bags of gold to make it uh, more applicable to something we would understand. And it would, would, but but, in, but it, it isn't telling you a specific amount, but a talent was a very large chunk of gold, a very large chunk, and an amazing amount of money. Uh, or it could have been silver, but in this case it was gold. And so, so, but it's interesting for us who speak English, this wouldn't be true in any other language, I wouldn't think, but for us who speak English, our word talent um, actually relates, I think, very well to the idea of what God's, not, not that it was money, but it was that God was trying to get something across about our abilities and our giftings from Him. Does that make sense? The talents, the aptitudes that we may have. And that God is trying to, to help us. And we understand, looking around, you know, that not everybody in the room gets the same uh, abilities or giftings, right? And some are gifted in some things. And, and we don't have to look very far to see that some people got, got the five-talent kind of life and others of us are kind of doing the best we can with the one-talent life. But that's okay, you know, I don't mind. I just do. Rhonda and I watch a TV show um, that uh, you may have seen. It's uh, Little Big Shots. Steve uh, Harvey is the host. And there's these little kids that come on and they, they do talented things. I just want to show you a video clip of a little girl who's 11 years old and she is an amazing singer. I want you to see this girl and just get an idea of what a five-talent singer looks like. So a little 11-year-old girl is like channeling Mariah Carey right then. Right? Did you catch this? And I just sit there, and I'm just, it almost brings tears to my eyes when I see that kind of talent. I just, I, in, a, in a good way, but I also wish, and I don't know her situation, but I wish, oh, if you could use that for God's glory, girl. <laughs> you know, if you could just use that for God's glory, how, how marvelous that would be. That's, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I wish I could sing like, well, not that high, but I wish I could sing, you know. <laughs> you guys would think I was a sissy if I sang that high, but man, I wish I'd have been born with that kind of talent to be able to sing like that, right? And, um, and so we see that God 
is giving various and varying talents and abilities to different people. And that's okay, because we just do the best we can with what we're given. But I want to ex- say something to you and take this a bit further, whether it's we're talking about talent or we're talking about time, that God has this expectation of you and me that we will use what's been given to us. And if we don't, I will also suggest to you that we're, it's not just a passive thing, it's actually a state of disobedience to God. It, we're actually moving into a realm where we're, we're doing something other than what God has commanded us and told us that we ought to do. So what has God given to you? What has he asked you to do with your life? Imagine that you bought a brand new car, which I would not suggest, for your teenage son or daughter on their 16th birthday. Right? You just felt like blessing them big time. And they get their license to drive, and then you come home, and, and when you arrive home, the car is there with a big bow on it, and you present them the keys and say, this is your new car. And can you imagine that moment as that? Don't get any ideas, young people. Okay, but, uh, um, but I'm just saying, you know, just, just picture this little story in my mind. And so the car, you go, and you hand the keys to them, and they're so excited, they're overjoyed, and they get, and they, they can't believe the car is all theirs. And they hugs and kisses abound, and then they take the keys, they go, they open the door, they sit in the car, in the driver's seat, they admire all the features, they turn on the key, they listen to the stereo, they even start the motor and listen to the motor purr, but they never actually gr- drive anywhere with it, never go anywhere with it. They turn the car off, get out, say thank you, and walk back in the house. You're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You you don't understand what you've been given here. You don't understand. Days pass and then weeks, and they go out, they sit in the car. Sometimes they start it, sometimes they just listen to the radio or the the MP3 or whatever. uh, And and then, then comes a time when you say, hmm, I don't get this. And then one day, you go to your child and you say, you say, son or daughter, you say, uh, mom needs a gallon of milk for the dinner she's cooking. I want you to take that car and drive to the store and grab us a gallon of milk. Here's the money. Go do that for me. Will you take care of that for me? And, and they walk out and they sit in the car. They turn it on, but never leave the driveway. There's a problem, isn't there? See, not only is that child missing out on the fun and the enjoyment of driving and being independent at that level, but now they've actually walked into a place where they're living in disobedience. When I've asked them to do something and they're not doing what I've asked them to do. And so God, God is a good God. He's a gracious God. He's given every one of us talents and gifts and abilities. He gave them to us for a reason. So that we would use them for Him. He really does expect us to. In our parable, again, everybody's given the same amount. In this case, I believe this can represent time. Everyone in this room has the same 24 hours in the day seven days in the week, 365 or 66 days in the year, depending on if it's a leap year. But either, you know, but we are responsible for what we've been given. We have a responsibility. It's not just a, oh, I get to use it for whatever I want. No, we have a father who's saying, son or daughter, here's some things I want you to be doing for me. Yes, I want you to go enjoy life and all that, but I have some stuff I want you to do for me, and I've given you what you need to do it with. I've given you the time. I've given you the talents, I've given you the abilities, and he says, go do it. But it goes further than just time and how we use it. It, it, Since you and I became believers, since you became a Christian, what happened is a deposit, uh, a treasure, if you will, according to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, it says that these treasures have been put into jars of clay. The jars of clay are us. We were made from the dust of the ground and formed to, to be receptacles of the glory of God. 
And he has put a treasure of himself into every single one of us, and the deposit of the Holy Spirit has been put in us, and also the glory of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus makes it clear when he gives us what we call the Great Commission that there's an expectation for us to spread the good news to others. You get this? He's saying to us as sons and daughters, here's the keys to the car, the tank is full, I've given you permission, you have a license to drive the gospel, now get out there and drive the gospel. Drive the gospel. And so, so part of the getting busy, if you will, I say is it time to get busy, let's get busy. For us, it's the discipleship, uh, discipline excuse me, of reading the Word, okay? fasting, praying. These are parts of what we need to do. Every year, I usually announce at this time a reading plan that I ask us to go through in our Bibles. And uh, I won't ask for a show of hands because I'm fully aware that many of us start out with great intentions, but we get to the end of the year and we go, yeah, you know, I, I kind of got into Leviticus and I just lost my mind right then. And I never really recovered, <laughs> you know, right? I get that. I'm, I, I understand. And some may feel constrained or compelled and may have actually made it all the way through the year. Uh, I have one more reading to go. I'm that guy. It's probably a defect in me. More. No, 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 don't you do that. It's probably me that I have this compulsion to, uh, to do things and finish them. And I, I kind of have that in my life. I don't know why. But anyway, so yeah, I, I did it, but I don't know that anybody else made it all. Did, did you run it? Let's put her on the spot. Almost, okay. See, I, I knew I, she'd be close. Yeah, very good for you. I'll clap for you. Beth, you made it? I won't ask anybody else. <laughs> oh, good for you guys. I'm proud of you. This year, I'm not going to announce a reading plan. You find one you want to do, okay? But here's what I am telling you. Part of what Rooted is about is a daily discipline and devotional time that includes some scripture. It includes some devotional readings. And I believe what we're going to do is let God use that to jumpstart a new devotional life in our hearts and lives. That's why I want everybody to do it. Because, and that's what we found, is that everybody got more excited about reading the Word, about daily having, and, and even something I normally don't like, but we really liked it in this, was a little bit of a time for journaling every day, like a response to what God was speaking to you. And it kind of got you in a different frame of mind every day, every week, and for the time that we were doing it, it was really good. And I think we came out of it better for it because we've already done a test group with our leaders in the church. And, each one, and that's what I've had with these testimonies, telling you what's been going on with that. Um, I also, about this time of year, usually announce a fast. And I am announcing fasting, but it's not going to be what we've done in the past where we do. And when usually I'd say, hey, somewhere here in January, we'll have about two weeks of fasting and people fasted different things all the way from all solid foods all the way down to some people just fast a little a meal here or there but but I'm not going to announce that kind of a fast because as we talked about it this year we felt in, impressed of the Lord now if you want to go on a two-week fast go for it in fact I I will be doing a, a, a extended fast starting Wednesday this week uh, for myself but I'm not announcing it to the whole church what I am asking you to do is consider joining together with us and fasting the first Wednesday of every month so what we're going to do, rather than have a one time a year where we just agonize over this thing, right? we're going to develop a, a pattern and a lifestyle of fasting. Because remember what Jesus said. He said, when you fast, right? what's the expectation when you say that? You're going to do it, right? When you fast, when you pray. He put it in these terms. There's an expectation of our Lord 
The one who gave us the keys to the car is expecting that we're going to pray, that we're going to fast. And so we believe that God wants us to make that more of a regular discipline. And so hopefully uh, each month, and uh, I'll remember to do this, I have a note to myself, but uh, we'll try to, ahead of time of the first Wednesday, always give you, if you're in our database, we'll send you out something about things we can be praying for specifically on that day. Specifically on this Wednesday, would you pray with us that Rooted will take root? and that it will go like gangbusters, and that every single person in Praise Center uh, that's a part of our church, which is much more than the people in this room right now, will decide to become a part and do it together with us. It is going to be phenomenal. In our story today, the king said, put this money to work. The servant who hid it was disobedient to the king. He's the one to be punished. Whereas the other servant who didn't earn as much, maybe they did the best they could, but he's still rewarded. Do you get that? And so he's still rewarded. In fact, the servant would have still been commended for if the, if the one who only who had hid it in the cloth, if he'd at least put it in the bank and said, got a little bit of, I mean, the interest is so paltry these days. When you, how many have a savings account? You go, well, it doesn't make any difference, right? But the master's saying, even if you were wise enough to do that and get just a little return on your investment, you still would have been rewarded. So I don't want us comparing ourselves to each other. In fact, the Bible says, don't compare yourself to others. Some people are able to do, some people can sing like, what, at 11? Come on. You understand what I'm saying? So don't compare yourselves to others. Just be responsible for the things that God has invested in you and given to you and be that person that does the best you can with it, no matter what it is. And God will reward you for that. We're never punished or disciplined by God for doing our best, even if it doesn't match up to others. Amen? Worship team, come on back up. The conclusion I want to make is this, that the parable was given to let anyone who follows Jesus know that in his absence physically, the kingdom will only grow and advance as we are faithful to work and do the work that we've been called to and make the most of every opportunity that we're given. Our job as Christians is to take this deposit from God and use it faithfully to bring him a return on that investment that he has put in our hands. And then he will, in the end of it all, this is what's amazing, we're doing a job for our master, for our Lord, but he's going to reward us at the end of all things. Do you understand? Forever and ever. Do you understand there will be rewards for us in heaven based on what we've done in this life? And don't you think for one moment that because I stand up here and teach the word of God that somehow I'm going to achieve some great reward because, because I'm just fulfilling what I've been called by God to do, Right? If you, there's, I'll tell you who the people in heaven are going to be that are going to receive the greatest awards, rewards, I think. And that is those who have spent faithful hours and worn out the knees on their jeans and their, do you understand, that have prayed through and interceded. P people that did stuff in a closet where nobody saw them doing it, but they began to call out and cry out to God. And they were accomplishing. The only reason anything happens on this planet is because people pray. And, and so, so God will use the prayers that have been prayed over me and about, for us in this room to, to speak through me. But, but that's only as a result as I'm backed up by the prayer. So, so you understand, I think the rewards are not what we would think. We might think, oh, well, Billy Graham, he'll have... No, 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 there's going to be some grandma, right, somewhere who just spent so much time praying and was so faithful and used her gifts and her talents and her abilities for God. And, and, and then they're going to have to bring out her gifts on a forklift, you know, you're going to hear a sound, and drop a big load in front of her and say, this is what, what you get for all you've done on earth. Believe me, we're all, 
all of us who know Jesus are going to heaven, but you're going to get to enjoy the rewards of what you've invested in this life for eternity. That's a great investment, if you ask me. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Jesus said this. He says, as you go, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And along the way, I don't know about you, and I've done this in the past, and I do it less these days, but we tend to disqualify ourselves from being effective because we think, oh, I sinned, and so God can't use me now. I've done that before. I don't know if you have. And, and we, or we wasted an opportunity. We saw the opportunity. It went by, and we thought, oh, great, God, you know. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus from Revelation 21, 5, being spoken over you again. May this be a prophetic word to you today in this moment. Revelation 21, 5, he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, listen, this is a word to you today. I am making everything new. So it doesn't matter what you squandered in the past. It doesn't matter what you wasted in the past. It doesn't matter what has, sins have been happening in the past. For today, is, God is all about the new. His mercies are new every morning. His, his, there's a refreshing that comes in the morning every day in terms of God's grace for our lives. So He will make you new. He will make things in your life new. And He will use you and me to make things new for others. He really will. At our district conference we went to this year, uh, we went in October there's a pastor there by the name of Brad Williams. He's a pastor of a church, a, a really big church in Spokane that we're a part of, the uh, same denomination. But uh, he went away for some study and reflection time uh, to New York. And, and when he was there, God really began to speak something to him, to his heart. And God, this is what God spoke to him. And God said, if your church, Brad, if your church was the only one in your town, what would you do differently? And then he felt like the Lord said, if your church was the only church in the world, what would you do differently? And when he spoke those words, he says, it wrecked me. And as soon as he spoke them, it wrecked me. Because I felt like God was speaking that to me. Sal, what if, what if Praise Center was the only gospel witness in this valley? How would we handle things differently as a church? What would we be up to? If we were the only expression of hope, and we're not. I'm thanking God for all the other expressions of, of light in this valley that come through the churches. But, but, but God is saying, what if we were the only ones? How would we behave? I also started thinking, if you or I were the only believer in this town, what would we do differently? How would we handle it? And I want to ask and propose to you, why don't we just go ahead and live that way? Right? If we, if we would do things differently, what, what would be the harm in just living differently? Why are we playing around in boxes when God has given us this great gift to use for Him? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why are we hanging out in the box when He gave us something so amazing to enjoy? So why don't we decide to make the most of every opportunity in our personal lives, in our community lives, in, in our business, whatever you do for, for, to make a living, go be the best you can. God's given you those talents and abilities for a reason, right? 
your, your witness out there, as you are just being a faithful person, is powerful. And I'm actually a bit jealous because it's really hard for me. Once people hear I'm a pastor, they really shut down on me. I don't get as many opportunities as I wish I had to talk to people that are out there that don't know the Lord, and I wish I had more. So let's make the most of everything we can in Jesus' name. Do you agree? Let's let 2019 be a year of getting busy for Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's get busy. It's time. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.